Thompson, we have a podcast. You're listening to the Premier Rockets Podcast. It's H-Town Hoops, hosted by Brandon Scott and Adam Spolane. Welcome back to the H-Town Hoops Podcast. Brandon Scott, Adam Spolane, Austin Mendez producing this thing for us behind the scenes. And since the last time we talked to y'all, we've had media days come and go, or media day, Rockets media day come and go at Toyota Center and we are into the thick of training camp at McNeese State in Lake Charles. Adam Spillane made the trip for both, the trip to Toyota Center for Media Day, and spent some time in Lake Charles. So we're going to give you some feedback, some observations from what we've seen so far. I know if you guys want to check these out on SportsRadio610.com, Adam has already been writing about some of the training camp observations uh, Jeff Green, newcomer, veteran, 17, 16, 17-year veteran, been around forever, just won a championship with the Denver Nuggets, a newcomer to the Rockets, sort of a newcomer, been with the team before. And then, of course, Fred Van Vliet. There are pieces on both of those guys on SportsRadio610.com if you want to check them out. But, Adam, man, I'm going to give you the floor since you've been, a, it, been in attendance and have – uh, been covering the team over these last few days. What have been some of your main training camp observations with the Rockets? I think the big thing is just the veteran presence, specifically with Fred Van Vliet. And I think that he's going to be such a great addition for them, not just on the floor, but off the floor. And I think that they really hit a home run with that pickup. And I'm sure a lot of you have seen the video of him um leaving basically a gift bag uh, for every player in in, uh, in the locker room on Monday. And yeah, there were some good things in there. And there were some things that, you know, a normal NBA player would really like some headphones, some the Google goggles or whatever they're called. I don't know exactly what they are. Um, like a lot of good stuff, but then there was also a book and, uh, and we put it yesterday. Sometimes you, you know, you got to get the dessert to, to, you know, to eat the dessert, to get to the medicine or whatever, the exact wording that he put it. But, but basically baiting them into reading a book. Yeah, that that's basically what he wanted to do. And uh, the book is about process and loving the process. Um, and that's what he wants his teammates to kind of understand is like, hey, you don't want to just go through the process. You got to want to do it. And because that at the end of the day, that's how you get better. And, and I think one of the, the aspects of their offseason, it wasn't just that they added veterans or that they added the right veterans. It's that they brought in guys who are invested in the future of the organization. And I think when you look at the last couple of years, and this is this is nothing against Eric Gordon, but I don't think Eric Gordon was invested in the rebuild process. I think Eric Gordon wanted to win basketball games, and that was really about it. He didn't want to play babysitter. That's not what he signed up for with the Rockets. He signed up to be on a winning team and to win games and to compete for a championship. And then all of a sudden, one by one, all those guys that he was playing with and competing for champions with uh, championships with, they were all gone. And, and I don't think that he wanted to be a part of the rebuild. And I think he was a part of it for a lot longer than he wanted to be. But then you bring in these guys, you bring in Van Vliet and you bring in Dylan Brooks and Jeff Green and Jock Landell. And these are guys who chose this situation. They understood exactly what they were getting into. They knew that they were joining a very young basketball team. They were joining a team that has not won games at all over the last three years. And they're cool with that. And they want to be part of it. And they want to help these young guys grow. And I bring up Van Vliet in particular because I, I talked to him about this yesterday. Is that when he first came into the league, 
he was on a team that had just gone to the Eastern Conference Finals, and he had Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan with him. And he talked about how much he learned from those two. And basically how Lowry told him, hey, you know, what I'm telling you right now, somebody said this to me. You are going to tell somebody else this, and then whoever you tell, they're going to, you know, you just kind of pass it along, you know, to each basketball generation. And I think that that's important. I think that he's all about the process, and I think that's really going to help them grow in the long run. Yeah, you mentioned Eric Gordon. I would say that this is also, like, it's also worth noting the timing element of it as well. Like you talked about Eric Gordon having been there on a team that had one before, and then all of a sudden, one by one, the guys that he'd been winning with were no longer there. Well, now you're in a situation where the guys that have signed up for this, they have signed up for the back end of this. Like the timing of it all works out to where when they had the money to spend on these guys also is when the bill is due on the Oklahoma City picks, right? On on the fact that that losing is no longer incentivized in any kind of way the way it had been the last few years and so it, it just works out perfectly that we're at a stage now the rockets i mean are at a stage now in their rebuild to where rebuilding is over like they've they've sort of built now it's time to start like building from that like building winning habits and winning ways from what they've already sort of established so it's not like you know, it's not like Fred Van Bleet, Dylan Brooks, Jeff Green, and Jock Landale are joining the 2021 Houston Rockets, right? Like Christian Woods, Houston Rockets, right? It's a it's a different outfit. And now you've seen a little bit from guys like Jalen Green, guys like Alperen Shingoon, even Jabari Smith Jr. in his rookie year. And of course, the promise of having a, you know, of, of having a, Amin Thompson and and Cam Whitmore on the team as well. And of course, Tari Eason, we would throw in there as well as part of the core group. You've seen enough to, to say that there's enough bones here to feel good about and then to kind of go from there. So the, the timing of it works out perfectly as well. Yeah. And, but I, I do think the one difference is they are willing to hold guys' hands and say, hey, this is how you do it. And I think that's what these guys were kind of lacking is that, hey, um, they had vets, whether it was Schroeder, Dennis Schroeder or Gordon, and they were going to, you know, be there and they were going to play hard and they were going to do things the right way, but they weren't going to kind of want to be the teachers. They weren't going to want to necessarily be the mentors. Um, this group that they have now seems to really embrace that role. And I say specifically with Van Vliet because he was mentored by Lowry and DeRozan when he first got to Toronto. And I think that he thinks it's important that he do the same thing with these with these guys now uh in houston so i think that that's the one thing that has really stood out you know i i'm sure some people have you know crammed you know little grainy iphone videos from the first the first few practices i, I don't you know I, I was there i didn't get to see a lot when i was there on wednesday um but you take a little bit out, out of that you take a little bit out of what you've heard from players uh, over the course of uh you know, media day and then, in, you know, the, the media availabilities that we've had. So I think all in all, they have to be very pleased with where they're at. I think, especially with Van Vliet and, and really all of these guys that have signed on to be a part of this process, like this is the job, the, the mentorship. Like, I think that's just as much of part of the job as anything. Like it may not be written in the contract. Like, like you're a player. It's not written in the contract. Hey, come in here and be mentors to these guys. But like you said, that that to me is 
sort of just part of the deal and part of the understanding. And so, like, I, I think I think it just makes sense that they would be willing to do that. But but beyond that, like, just from a practical standpoint, Adam, I think the 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 viability of these young players, what they are and what they turn out to be, and, and of course, these veterans are going to play an instrumental role in helping them realize that and become that. But those guys realizing their potential, Jalen Green, Alperin Shingun, Jabari Smith, chief among them, that is what's going to determine whether this works or not. And it feels like just, and I haven't been around them yet, but it feels like the veterans that they have are self-aware enough to realize, hey, I'm not, I didn't sign this big contract to come over here and lead these guys to a championship. Like, you know, if this isn't, you know, uh, you know, this isn't like, LeBron or Damian Lillard or somebody like that joining the team and, and changing the entire outlook of the team. I'm coming here to supplement. And I think Ime Udoka talked about this, you know, earlier in the offseason or not long after he was hired. But like the guys that they wanted to bring in were going to be supplemental. And so to me, it, it it is critical for them and for the success of this entire like signings and everything that they're doing to pour as much into those young players as possible so that this thing can work out. Cause the, the this only works out if Jalen green, Alper Shingun and Jabari Smith become as close to as good as they possibly can be. Do you think Dylan Brooks thinks that he's a supplemental part of the team? I, you know, how about, let me ask you about that because look, I, I know J- Dylan Brooks from the public standpoint it feels like since he's been with the Rockets that he's been a little bit more of a normal guy and a little bit more self-aware. I, I don't have a great sense for that. If you're asking me, do I think the Dylan Brooks that I know from public persona, if I think he's that guy? No, that's part of the reason why I wasn't as interested in Dylan Brooks and bringing him in. But to his credit, it seems like from what I've heard of him and what I've observed from you guys covering it up close that he seems a little to be a little bit more self-aware than I was willing to give him credit for in the beginning. If he's not, then no, I would I would retract that about what I just said about Fred Van Vliet for sure. But Dylan Brooks, you would have a better sense for it than I would. Yeah, he he definitely did bring up you know wanting to you know have better shot selection, um, you know on media day Monday. But remember, this is a guy who was what one of the best players on the Canadian national team during the World Cup. So I he mean, back, yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, you know. It all sounds great right now, and everybody says the right things at this point on October 5th. Um, but when games start, that's when you really start to learn. And so um, they've got a preseason game on Tuesday against Indiana. They've got a couple more in San Antonio right after that. So you'll start to really learn a lot just over the next week or so, I think, more than anything. And that's kind of what I'm I'm looking forward to at this point because this is all – a lot of what you get right now is fluff. Like it is yeah. the, stuff, the stuff that I've written, even it's fluff. You know, I, I get that. That's just how it is. It's not, you know, hard hitting basketball stuff because we don't have anything to really go by at this point. All we have are, you know, great quotes that we've gotten in media availabilities. But once you start reacting to basketball, that's what, you know, you're kind of looking forward to see. And that's when you get a better feel, just what they expect or what you think that they can be once we get into actual games and see them, you know, see, see just how organized it all is, I guess. Yeah, let's revisit some basketball stuff, some stuff we've already actually hit on back when Fred Van Vliet first signed. And it it was projection then, and as you mentioned, we haven't had any games, anything to really work off of, so it'll still continue to be projection now. But 
we know and have a sense for you talked about the fluff i feel like we've got a good sense for you know almost 30 year old 29 however old fred van vliet is 29 year old fred van vliet veteran all-star uh nba champion all of these different things that he's been gonna come in uh, an adult mature professional all of that we can suspect that there's gonna be like an off off the court sort of impact there or at least like an influence there okay let's accept that on the basketball side let's just try to project here since we're talking about fred van vliet what do we feel like and i know you've only gotten a glimpse of it because we're not gonna like overreact or anything or like pretend like we've seen stuff that we haven't but what do you feel like the basketball impact of fred van vliet is gonna be now that we're closer to it uh steadiness i think more than anything he'll just add a degree of steadiness on both ends of the floor that they really haven't had um he's a guy who doesn't turn the ball over they have been i think they've probably been one of the uh they've probably turned the ball over more than anybody uh in the league at least the last couple of years i don't think they were last last year but two years ago um they were last in turnover rate so he brings steady steadiness there just consistency uh not a great shooter but he's good enough um he's not going to be the most efficient scorer in the world but i think that he's the type of guy who is comfortable playing off the ball so yep. when you want to have possessions where it's Jalen Green initiating the offense or Alperin Shingun initiating the offense, he's comfortable and knows what to do when he doesn't have the basketball in his hands. And I do think when we talk about the point guard position over the last couple of years you know, with Kevin Porter Jr., I think, you know, he wanted to have the basketball in his hands. I don't think he was – he was really good, you know, a real good catch-and-shoot guy, but I don't know if he, you know, knew exactly what to do when he didn't have the basketball and he certainly wanted to have the ball. So uh, I think that just having – the steadiness on both ends of the floor is important. And I think that uh, um, just uh, him understanding how to play without the ball is going to be the key for him. My question, though, comes with what happens when he's on the bench. Because I don't know if there's that natural guy behind him that they thought they were going to have uh, back in the summer. Oh, man. Well, I, I was going to get back to the off-ball stuff in a second about that, that we mentioned about Fred Van Vliet, but just to your point, and I know you tried to talk me off of it about too high of an expectation for a man Thompson, but, and, and he's raw as a rookie and everything, but I'm excited about him having an opportunity to get out there and play and be the, the backup point guard. It's sort of in waiting. Like there's no, the one thing about the Kevin Porter Jr. Situation with, and this is far down the list of importance, in regards to his situation, but I do feel like it opens up a lot of opportunities for those, anybody that's playing point guard or on the wing, anything that Kevin Porter Jr. could have done for you. Other guys that can do those things for you are going to have more opportunities. And that includes on the, from the point guard side, it includes a men Thompson to your point about when Fred Van Vliet goes to the bench, but also some of these wing guys that were probably going to be, not have as many minutes with with him in the mix are going to have an opportunity as well is that like is that good ultimately i don't know i don't know but i'm excited about it, at least to, to 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 see it um to get i, I don't want to just say that he was dead weight because he did contribute as a basketball player but you know when you consider everything else that's going on you kind of get dead weight out of there and you allow some people that actually should get the opportunity to get the opportunity so i'm i'm not saying that Hey, it's going to be great. Oh, rookie 
rookie backup point guard. It's going to be just fine. And take out the veteran who knows exactly what he's doing and put in the rookie who's never done it before. And it's just going to go over seamlessly. I don't, I think it's going to be a lot of hiccups, but I think there could be some excitement. This is the thing I'm trying to balance actually, Adam. Fred Van Vliet's steady hand and his steadiness with Amon Thompson's electricity. You know, the, the fact that he can just make plays and is physically gifted in a way that, that honestly few others are. No, you're right. Um, but I, I don't know if he's necessarily going to be that guy, at least early on. I, you know, that's, that's legitimately the one thing that I have circled for, for Tuesday against Indiana. It's yeah. just how the rotation looks. And yeah. I, I think I know who's going to start. You know, I, I think we all kind of have a, a good idea that it's going to be Van Vliet, Green, Brooks, Smith, and Shingun starting. But what does it look like when they go to the bench? Who's the first guy off the bench? What does the guard rotation look like? I mean, I, I could see them um, maybe sliding uh, Green over to point guard uh, and giving him some reps doing that. Or you have, you know, Green on the floor with Shingun initiating offense yeah. uh, for those minutes when Van Vliet is on the bench. Uh, I could see Jay Sean Tate getting getting minutes at that spot, at the backup point guard spot, because, you know, that's a that was basically his role with the team last year, once uh, once it was pretty apparent that uh, Dacian Nix and Ty Ty Washington weren't going to be able to carry backup point guard minutes. So uh, I think there are a lot of different possibilities. And when we get to, they're going to have, I think they're going to practice on Monday. You know, that's one of the things that I'm really most interested in is for Ime Udoka, like, do you have in your mind what you want your rotations to be? Or are you looking at this as a lot of experimentation? And so, I think if you want to take anything away from the preseason, just you can kind of take away uh, substitution patterns because I think that I, I think if we'd have done if we'd have had this podcast this time last year, I think the assumption was that Josh Christopher was going to have a huge role on last year's Rockets, and then that very first preseason game, I think it was against San Antonio, yeah. um, he was like the the thirteenth guy to come in. He didn't play yeah. at all in the first half, and then that's when you kind of knew, okay. You know, they clearly aren't quite as high on Josh Christopher as maybe we all thought they were going to be. So I think when you get to Tuesday against Indiana, just keep an eye on, you know, who's coming off the bench first, because I think that gives you a pretty good idea of how the uh, the team feels about that player, at least um, for the immediate future. So put a pin in the rotations because that's something to watch. But back real quick to the point about Fred Van bleeding off the ball. I think this is going to be really important because, and it's interesting to me because the whole thing was they, the Rockets need a point guard and they're going to go sign a point guard. And then Fred Van Vliet ends up being the point guard that they go get. But I could see it really being, especially it being a year where they want Jalen Green and Alperin Shingun to take that next step. They want that from an organizational standpoint and from a team standpoint. And as we've mentioned before, in previous episodes, it's obviously in their best interest to have big years this year because it's when guys start getting paid after year three. So they're, they should be internally motiv motivated, and the team should obviously be invested in their success as well. So I'm looking at it like, man, I feel like we're going to get a lot of Jalen Green with the ball, a lot of Alpern Shingun with the ball, and a lot of two-man game between those two guys. And I think there is a lot of potential with those two guys if – you know, Jalen Green can be a little bit more judicious and just kind of make 
I guess, better. And sometimes he like he absolutely makes good decisions and good reads. It's just not as consistent. And then, like you mentioned, too, with Alperen Shingun, sometimes he goes for the highlight play instead of the smart basketball play. If they, if the veteran impact and the Udoka impact are what I think everybody wants and suspects that they could be, Rockets fans that is, then we should be seeing a lot of two-man game between those two guys. And, you know, the hope or the idea would be that you would see plenty of Fred Van Bleet off the ball. I, that's a long-winded way of me saying, hey, if there was anything to concern me about Fred Van Bleet, it's that his shooting dipped a little bit last year. And like, like you mentioned, a good but not great shooter. Well, I, I think that that's going to be a, a, a hallmark or a, a huge part of what his – actual on the floor basketball contribution is going to be how he feeds off the ball with Jalen Green and, and Alperen Shingun. Yeah, on the three-point shooting, my guess is last year is an outlier. Just um you look the volume was basically he actually he shot the ball less last year and then he he just took a pretty big dip. So I mean um in 2020 he was at 39%, 2021 he was at 36 6, uh, 2022 he was at 37.7, and then all of a sudden last year it dipped to 34.2. So I kind of feel like last year was probably the outlier when it comes to that. And also, I think some of that might just be a Toronto thing where offensively they were they were just weren't very good. And I do wonder if uh, because they had so little shooting on the floor, I wonder how much that did impact um, you know some of his efficiency, at least from behind the three-point arc, or maybe he wasn't getting the sort of open looks um, last season that he had gotten in the past. Um, I think when you look at some of the stuff that they've done so far, you know, um, especially with the Jalen Green and the ball handling stuff, it kind of feels like to me, Ime Udoka is a lot more comfortable with putting guys in situations where maybe they aren't comfortable. And I think one of the things with Silas was that uh, as a player, if you hadn't done something, like if you hadn't been able to master something, he maybe didn't want to put you in that situation. So for, for green, you know, if he wasn't a guy who was great at initiating the offense, he didn't want him to have to initiate the offense that much. And so it kind of feels like, and I'll tell you the, the best example of this might be some of the, the uh, defensive stuff where at least early on, just in what you've seen from practice, they've been switching a lot. And that's, and that includes having Alperin Shingun do that. And that's not something that Silas wanted to do because, first of all, Shingun wasn't going to be good at it. And also, Shingun, he just wasn't all that comfortable with it, and he admitted as much. But it does kind of feel like that Yudoka is going – they're going to switch, at least you know from what we've seen early on. They're going to switch one through five. So they're going to put uh, Shingun in, in sort of that uncomfortable position of, hey, you might be out on an island with some of these guards a little more than you're used to. You better figure that out. And so I, I think that some of the stuff offensively, it's the same way. Hey, you might not be totally comfortable doing this, but we're going to have you do it anyways. And we're going to have you learn how to do this on the fly. And so that's why I kind of feel like they can play Van Vliet off the ball a little bit more than maybe you would have expected when he signed because they want to force Green into those situations where he does have the ball and where he is initiating offense a little more than he has in the past. And then you have Van Vliet kind of there just as that crutch, like, hey, if it gets a little hairy here, I'm I'm right there for you. So that that you know that that's where I think the Van Vliet off the ball stuff becomes important. I think that's kind of what it was like with Eric Gordon, where Gordon was there as the crutch. They didn't necessarily wanting him running the offense, but he was there if they needed him. I, I like that, man. What's your sense for how they're taken to that? Because to me, it's got to be a, an entirely different 
type of energy to go from hey let's let's make everything comfortable and you could argue hey, it's to, let's play to everybody's strengths or play away from everybody's weaknesses but it is let's make everything comfortable the way it had been versus now it seems like Ime Udoka is really willing to push the envelope this might sound like a fluffy question but what's your sense for how those guys are taking the coaching and taking the kind of the new world order over there I think they they all want to be coached. You know, you you got that even you know the last couple of years. Like, hey, they wanted to be coached hard, just for whatever reason they didn't necessarily take to it, or they just weren't good enough. I mean, that's the other thing. They just weren't good enough. The roster wasn't good enough to where it was really going to matter all that much. And you know, you you start losing so many games that you know the, the message becomes kind of hollow. That that's kind of what I felt last year. As you know, with this year, I, I think the the one refrain that you've gotten at least from the guys who have been around is that we're tired of losing. So, you know, at some point we can talk all we want, but we've been getting our brains beaten in here for the last three years or for the last two years, really. Uh, and that's got to stop. And so I think that they, they understand that and they are kind of, you know, they're willing to do anything at this point to show the, show the league that they are a lot better than, you know, what they have shown uh, the last couple of years. And that, that was the thing that Jeff Green talked about. Um, on, on Monday at media day, you know, Jeff green is walking into a situation here. That's very similar to what he started with you know, when he got into the league with both Seattle and then Oklahoma city, where, you know, as a rookie, I think they won 20 games, then 23 games. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, they went on that run and, and they got to 50 wins his third year in the league in Oklahoma city. And he basically said, Hey, you, you want to show the league that you're not losers. Because the, you know, the, the the viewpoint around the league of the Rockets and of these guys that are on this team is that they're a bunch of losers because that's all they've done yeah. the last couple of years. And so you want to prove to everybody that, no, you're not. That, no, you're you're a winner. You're a really good player. And the only way you can do that is by winning games. Yeah. I, I, I do think that despite the fact that we've kind of agreed here that they're not going to more than likely be in the mix for – anything of significance or of import this year that I, I do think if there is going to be a win this year for the Rockets, it's going to be that exact thing that their habits and just what they put out on, even though they'll do plenty of losing, I think they'll play enough winning style basketball and a smarter, better brand of basketball that will sort of shake that narrative a little bit, turn that narrative a little bit to where, a year from now when we're doing this podcast, it'll be more so about, you know, can they, how far can this Rockets, what, what jump can they make from the one that they just made? You know, like, I think they're going to make a significant enough jump to where you're talking about them making another one as opposed to just the way it is now, what the narrative is now that these guys are just a bunch of losers who have done nothing but losing. Since you mentioned Jeff Green, though, I'm glad because I was going to tee this up for you. Uh, you've got the the Jeff Green piece on SportsRadio610.com. Everything that Adam was just mentioning there, you can find Jeff Green talking about that on SportsRadio610.com. But I want to ask you how two about two veterans actually, mm -hmm. Jeff Green, who they signed two years, sixteen million dollars, if I'm not mistaken, is that correct? And then of course Reggie Bullock that they got off of waivers. Both of these guys, and we can start with whichever one you want, but I am curious because I don't know how much we've talked about Green's fit, just, just about his veteran leadership and his presence on the team. 
But from a basketball standpoint, and we're projecting again, where do you feel like these two guys fit? I'll say Bullock to me is the shooting. I know it's not necessarily the, the form or exactly the way maybe fans were hoping they'd get it, but it is the shooting that I don't feel like they got throughout the offseason before, the shooting that they didn't address. So that's my thought on that. But both of these guys, Green and Bullock, where do they fit in the mix? Uh, I'll start with Green. I don't know where he fits. I, re I really don't. It, it was a very surprising signing to me just because it, it wasn't exactly a position need. Uh, they have a lot of guys. You know, there's kind of a log jam at that three, four, five position. So I don't know exactly where he fits. You know, I, I don't know if he if they plan on him playing consistently or if he's kind of a spot guy for them. Or, you know, if anything, he might just be a contract. And you see that a lot where maybe you – because know, let's be honest um, – two years 16 for jeff green at 37 years old that seems like a lot it's kind of uh, rich kind of rich and uh and the the second year is an op there's a, it's a team option i guess for the second year so i kind of wonder if he's just more of a tradable contract at this point than anything um we'll have to wait and see on that um i i think can i tell you what i think he is and, and i think it could be any of those things that you just mentioned but i feel like he's insurance for some of these young guys if they go out there and they're screwing it up you know, like if any of these guys that we're talking about that are supposed to play over him just ain't getting it right. And again, we talked about this. Losing is not incentivized anymore. If they feel like, hey, man, we just need adults out there playing basketball that know what they're doing, playing basketball. And let's say whoever it is that's supposed to be priority just looks like garbage on a particular night or over a particular stretch. Just throw Jeff Green out there and at least he knows what he's doing, even if it's not going to necessarily be to the level that you were hoping you'd get out of the youngster if they were playing right, at least it's competent, passable, adequate basketball. I think he's like insurance. He's insurance or he's, hey, if you don't play the right way, we've got a, a real guy behind you who will step right. in. And we, we will not hesitate to give him your minutes. And, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's kind of good to, to have that out there so that – guys aren't comfortable. And I do think that you've seen it in the past where guys were comfortable and like, Hey, there's nobody behind me. So I can do whatever I want. I think now you have a real guy that's behind you. Who's been in the league a long time. Yep. who's played at a high level in the league. So, you know, you have to, if you decide that you're not going to do things the right way, then Hey, you're replaceable. Um, with Bullock, I, I think that he's somebody who's going to play. I, I think that he's going to play, you know, one, uh, I, I don't know if he's necessarily, somebody who factors into a point guard role, but he's, he's a shooter and he can play off the ball. And like you said, they don't have a lot of shooting on this roster. Um, especially once you get past, I don't even know if you would consider Jalen green to be a shooter. Um, I think that he could be a good shooter, but he's not right now. Um, so you look at the wing position, it's Cam Whitmore. He's not a shooter at this point. No, those guys, those guys are scores. They're volume scores by any means necessary but not shooters not knockdown shooters yeah so with bullock i think he's a guy who's going to space the floor for you yeah and you can play him off the bench and he can play multiple positions and give you a is he is he is he the i just thought of this is he the the gary bird upgrade uh um, is, is this the garrison matthews upgrade probably yeah um yeah that's what i that's that's kind of how i'm looking at it now that we're talking through it yeah, just a more consistent version of that. And and remember, Matthews was basically one of the – he was in their rotation. You know, he was right. one of the top 10, uh, at least early on last year. Then he kind of dipped, depending on 
on uh, how his shot was going. But yeah, that that's a that's a fair way to put it. Is that um, he's probably going to wind up being their best shooter off the bench. And uh, I think we thought it was going to be Porter uh, over the summer. That obviously isn't going to happen now. So yeah, uh, that that's a good way to put it. I think that he could come in and he could play the two behind Green. He could play the three behind Brooks. Uh, I, I don't know how they exactly they view Eason. You know, do they see Eason as get as a guy who could get minutes at the three? I don't know if he shoots it well enough to be able to do that. Um, so it kind of feels like that. Yeah, that uh, he's going to to absorb some of those minutes. So uh, it's a no risk pickup. Uh, it's a guy who's going to help them. He's a professional, and they need guys like that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I'm. I was actually. <laughs> I'd never thought that I would react to a Reggie Bullock signing in such a way. I'm like, oh, shooting, great because we. I mean, we've watched this thing, man. It's been bad, very bad, and it's not like he's a cures it all or fixes it all, but he definitely addresses a need. Uh, and in some ways, kind of similar to Jeff Green, maybe like a like an insurance guy of. Hey, maybe we want to play a lot of Tari Eason and a lot of Camp, maybe a lot more Cam Whitmore than we ex- expected to in the beginning. But if those guys aren't cutting it, then here's somebody that also knows what he's doing and can knock down some shots for you in a year again when you need to win some games where it benefits you more to win than it does to lose. Not to say that you're going to win a lot, but it's better to win than to lose, like in a more obvious sense. And he does he does space the floor for you too. Right, And I think that some of the times in the last couple of years where their offense has really bogged down, it's because they haven't had shooting and there's just nowhere to go. And when you have somebody like Jalen Green who can get to the rim, if he's just running into a wall of opposing shirts, well, then it doesn't want to do you a whole lot of good. So if you can space the floor for him, then it gives you just a much better chance to, to be a better offensive team. The same thing with Shingun. Like if, if you want to dump the ball on the Shingun, but you don't have shooters around him, then it's really, it's going to be difficult for him to be effective uh, in that sort of. Moment. All right. So let me go back to Shingun real quick. And especially since you just mentioned him, we, we talked a minute ago, or you mentioned it actually about, M.A. Udoka being okay with pushing guys outside of their comfort zones a little bit and having them do things that they're not necessarily comfortable doing or hadn't had a, a great history of doing in the past. And we mentioned Shingun on the switches. I think that is a, maybe not an A topic, but certainly a B topic or a topic nonetheless about Alper Shingun defensively. You know, we, we can see all of the signs of a potentially – Really, really good offensive player, you know, borderline. I don't want to, I don't know. I hate to go like use hyperbole and be like borderline all-star level, but there's some, there's some really good offensive stuff there. Some good bones there, but the defense is what keeps us from having like real serious conversations about him being sort of an upper echelon player. Like we just can't do it because he's just such a non good, good defensive player, not good defensive player. How do you feel about him switching and what do you think about his potential for getting better on that end, man? Cause that is, is that a, is that just like hoping and wishing, or do you think that that's something that could actually happen? Uh, ask me on Tuesday. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I feel I, that that's fair. I, I do want to see it. Um, you know, he, he's worked on his body. Um, he talked about really wanting to strengthen his legs and we'll see, you know, we'll see how that looks. And, um, you know, last year he came into camp out of shape and he was not good in training camp. And that's why he wound up coming off the bench at the start of the year. 
Uh, it seems like he really focused uh, over the offseason. He, he had a little bit of duties with the national team. Uh, they were doing some Olympic qualifiers. But, you know, uh, he talked about he worked with a, uh, a, a Serbian coach, and um, he seems to be happy with the results that he had. Um, I think that it's been helpful for him to be around Jeff Green, who has just played with Nikola Jokic. And uh, Jeff Green had, had said that he's been asking him questions about Jokic and just kind of how he prepares and goes through everything. And so um, I, I think that'll be important for him. But he also understands, and we talked about this in, in April, uh, me and Shingun, is that this is a big year for him. Right. And I think he he's in that same boat with Jalen Green where, uh, like you brought up, they are – you know, going to be due for their extensions after this season. And you look at the the draft class before them, you know, LaMelo Ball and Tyrese Halliburton, um, Anthony Edwards, those guys got the quarter billion dollar contract extensions. And so um, the cap is only going to go up. So they have an opportunity to get even more. I mean, they, their extensions, you know, the max extensions could be um, worth, upwards of around 300 million, at least for, for green, uh, if he's able to get a max. So they're playing for a lot this year. And I do think that there is a level of seriousness now that maybe at least it was Shingun that maybe he didn't have before, but I, on, on the switching stuff, I, I want to see it in a game situation before I really like get into it. Yeah. On, on the part about being motivated, th- this part I, I think is somewhat fascinating just in terms of the timeline like those guys being up next, like they're first in line. So so the Rockets have a litany of guys that were drafted in the first round and a handful of guys, three guys, I guess, that were drafted in the top four, right? That's that's Jalen Green, Jabari Smith, and then just now with Amin Thompson. So in theory, and then, of course, if you just add in the rest of the first-round picks, Alperin Shingoon, uh, Tari Eason, Cam Whitmore. You've got a handful of guys that were all drafted in the first round, okay, it, 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 in consecutive years. Well, first up is Jalen Green and Alperin Shingun. And I wonder, like, I, I don't think this is going to, like, manifest itself to be any kind of, like, issue with the team. But, like, what if this year one of those younger guys shows more promise as – the number one guy the uh, as more of a potential max guy, you know? So like you're competing with yourself, you're competing obviously against your, uh, you know, against your opponents, but also you've got these other young guys that were drafted really high that are right behind you that depending on how this year goes, could show, could reveal themselves as the guy who management, who the team thinks of as, well, maybe maybe that's the future of the franchise. Like, like Amin Thompson, for example. I don't think he's going to have this opportunity necessarily, but who knows? Like, he'll he'll be the one to decide this based off of his own play. But what if by the end of the year they're like, man, that's the dude we're Amin Thompson and Jabari Smith Jr. That's who we're giving the keys to the franchise to. And you know what? We like Jalen Green and we like Albert Shingun and we want them to be on the team. But, you know, we don't view them as max guys. I, I don't foresee that happening, but that is a, a possibility and something that that I feel like they have to be internally motivated by, like performing, like themselves performing, showing that they're worthy, but also that the guy behind them isn't necessarily more worthy than they are. 
You know, and, and the other thing, while they would be eligible for extensions next summer, they don't have to give them the extension because right. you can play out your rookie contract and you're still a restricted free agent. So the team, if the team doesn't see it, then they don't have to give you the, the contract and they can make you prove it for one more year. And then you, you know, you have another year of, of information. So, yeah, I think that, you know, everything that you just said is true and these contracts aren't guaranteed or it's not guaranteed that you're going to get one. So you have to go out there and you have to earn it. And it's a big decision because you, you brought up the good point. You got a lot of guys that you're going to have to pay. And this is going to be a conversation for down the road. But with the way the CBA is set up, you look at the six first round picks that we're really talking about with, uh, you know, it, it's green and Shingun from, from the 21 draft class. It's the Smith and Eason uh, draft class and from 22. And then the Whitmore and Thompson from this draft class. Can you keep all, can you get, uh, keep all those guys? Can you keep all six of those guys and pay the possible huge salaries that come with all with all six. So, so at some point, you've really got to start paring it down. And I, I think that we've kind of compared what they are building to what the Hawks were kind of trying to build just a few years ago, and they couldn't keep everybody. Um, you know, there weren't enough. I mean, Cam Reddish wasn't good enough, so that really didn't matter. But, uh, you know, somebody like Kevin Herter got lost in, in the shuffle, and they had to, you know, they gave him an extension but they traded him before that extension even kicked in. So it's important that you keep these guys and that you don't just, you know, give them away for nothing. But, you know, at some point you have to start paring things down a little bit if, if you're the Rockets, because it's very difficult to keep everybody together uh, and pay the big salaries and pay the luxury tax and deal with the whole second apron and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, they've got some time to figure that out. That's why these, that's why this season and really next season, it's so important because they do have a window where they have an opportunity to see exactly what they have in these guys before they have to really start making difficult decisions. All right, before we go, we can get out of here, man. You said you think you know what the starting five is going to be. I do too. So yeah. let me hear it. What's that, what's that starting five look like? And do you feel like that's what we're going to get in the beginning is what we're going to get pretty consistently? Uh, Van Vliet, Green, Brooks, Smith, Shingen. I think that's yeah. probably that's it at least for for now. Um, I think the bigger question is how does how does the bench rotation look and who's the first point guard off the bench? Um, how do they stagger things between Green and Van Vliet? Um, how many minutes does does Landale get? Do they try Jabari Smith at all at the five? I think those are the bigger questions that I have. I, the starters aren't really important to me. Uh, but, you know, the bench stuff, I think, is really what's going to matter. Yeah. It's interesting because, like, to me, Tari Eason makes a lot of sense to come, like, to come off the bench immediately. Like, his energy and what he his effort and what he brings on the floor, to me, you want to get. But I don't know, man. Like, you, this point guard thing, you know, you who's your backup point guard? Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with you there. Like where does where does it go beyond the starting lineup um i would have said the same one fred van vliet jeff i'm sorry fred van vliet jalen green now that we got jeff green in here i'm gonna you want to call jalen jeff green and jeff jalen but yeah fred van vliet jalen green um you've got dylan brooks alper shingoon and and jabari smith as your or jabari smith and alper shingoon as your four and five but yeah, man, I'm I'm fascinated by it as well because I think 
you know, this this is the Kevin Porter Jr. ramification, right? This this is what it ultimately ends up being because we assumed that it was just going to be Kevin Porter Jr. and there's the first guy off of the bench. But could they go much younger than that? Does this mean that Jeff Green actually plays more than we thought? You know, like how what is the residual effect of all of it? I think is going to be fascinating to see. So uh, so we'll we'll find that out, man. And in the midst of it, we got Astros playoffs. Uh, there's a Texans game on Sunday. Like like it, it packed in all of this. Of course, you know, it's a hell of a college football weekend. This is going to be quite the next several days, man. And then, you know capped off by the Rockets preseason on Tuesday, man. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's funny that you go from Texas OU to a, an important Texans game to Astros playoff games, and then you get a Rockets preseason game to top it all off. That's the dessert. It's the Rockets preseason game. Yeah, yeah. And and look, for all of you Rockets fans that need your fix, maybe maybe a World Series run doesn't quite do it for you, right? Maybe a budding star at quarterback for your local football team and, and actual competent football doesn't quite do it for you. Just in case the fix that you need is Rockets preseason basketball. Brandon Scott, B. Scott, Adam Spillane, and Austin Mendez got your back. We'll do this Tuesday, Wednesday, sometime midweek and Give you all a little feel for what was going on with the Rockets in the preseason to start. What you say? What you think about that? Works. All right. That is the H-Town Who's Podcast. Appreciate Austin Mendez handling things for us behind the scenes. He is Adam Spillane. I am Brandon Scott. Make sure you subscribe, rate, review, tell a friend.